This is Cruise Radio. I cruise a lot and I always sail with travel insurance. You should too. Get a free quote today at tripinsurance.com. Broadcasting from the tripinsurance.com studios in Jacksonville, Florida. This is Cruise Radio. Hey, how's it going? My name is Doug Parker. Thank you so much for checking out this episode of Cruise Radio, a review of Royal Caribbean's Quantum of the Seas this week. And check it in with staff writer Richard Sims, who is in Bermuda on Norwegian Escape. Hey, Richard. Hey, Doug. How are you? Good. I know we have a little bit of connectivity issue, so we're going to jump right to the news here. First up, NCL shared some good financial news. Good might be almost an understatement. Uh, Norwegian Cruise Line Holdings reported third quarter earnings of $345.9 million. Now, just for comparison, that's the third quarter numbers. In the second quarter, they reported $8.61 million earnings. So as you can see, $86.1 million up to $345 million. That's a nice little increase. The total revenue was $2.5 billion. That's billion with a B for the third quarter, which definitely beat expectations. And they also reported that occupancy in the third quarter was up to 106%. Um, Again, we've talked about this before, but for newer listeners, that means um, because people are always like, how can a ship sail at over 100% occupancy? 100% is when you are at double occupancy, meaning two people in every room. But often if a family of three or four or 17 is all traveling in one room, then you can have over 100% occupancy. That's I think that's definitely the case on the ship I'm on this week on the Escape. Based on the number of people on here, I would say we are definitely sailing at probably around, I'm going to guess around 105, 110% uh, occupancy. Anyway, uh, this is really good news for Norwegian, especially considering that, you know, they're still, even as this money is coming in, they're still recovering from the extended effects of the shutdown. Uh, it also is a little bit of a mixed bag as far as cruisers are concerned because they are making a lot of that money by charging more money for things you are already paying for and adding new charges to things that were free in the past, all while cutting some services. Um, I definitely would say that I noticed service cuts on escape. Um, we've had, you know, nothing terrible. We're having a great time. Don't get me wrong, but we have definitely noticed some service changes. Uh, you know, obviously there's there's the one that everybody knows about, which is, you know, you only get, um, the once a day service for your room, but even just in restaurants and bars, there seems to be a distinct, shortage of staff. And I think there's actually less, you know, we had heard a while back that they were cutting some of the big entertainment shows, but I feel like there's even less, you know, just regular entertainment around the ship as far as, you know, a piano player here or a guitar player there. We have them, but not as many as I'm used to seeing on a Norwegian ship. Anyway, um, all of that is just to say that obviously, while it's great that Norwegian is making a lot of money, here's hoping that eventually they'll start sort of turning some of that money into uh, things that, that will benefit the customers that they have that have been so loyal to them and that have helped them you know reach these financial levels and speaking of service at least one cruise line as of now is increasing gratuities again 
Yep. We were just talking about cruise line services and them being charged and people them charging more for less. And Royal Caribbean is bumping up the rate they charge for the daily gratuities by about 12%. So what does that translate to? If you're staying in anything below the suite level, you're going to be paying, you're going to go from paying $16 per person per night to $18 per person per night. So that's, you know, everybody in your room. If you have four people, each of them is paying that rate. Suite guests will go from paying $18.50 per person per day to $20.50 per day. Uh, these new rates are going to go into effect beginning November 11th, which means if you have a cruise that's coming up, you know, with Royal Caribbean, get on the line, pay those gratuities now because you can lock them in at the lower rate. And, you know, it doesn't sound like a huge increase. You're like, you know, it's only two bucks, but it's two bucks for every person for every day. So if you've got a family of four traveling for a week or more, that definitely can add up quickly and it's worth you know, making that change. In fact, I have a friend who's sailing on Royal Caribbean, I believe in December. And I need to remember when we get off of this, this uh, news update to contact him and say, Hey, pay your gratuity. So you don't have to pay the new rate. Uh, the last time Royal raised their rates was I think September of 22. So it was about 14 months ago. And of course this will is the moment when we hold our breaths and, and, and anticipate which line will follow suit and say, Hey, well, if they did it, then we're going to do it too. Cause that's what always happens. So anticipate more rates coming, going up in the future. Yeah, for a typical family of four on a seven-night cruise, it's going to cost you an extra $56 come November 11th. So just some quick uh, math there for you. And it looks like we have another man overboard story, but this one has a little bit of a twist to it. That's right. And it's the twist is that it is a story with a happy ending. Usually when we do these types of stories, it's almost inevitably you know, the person is lost or the person is, isn't found or the person is, is assumed in this case, uh, Sunday night, the Symphony of the Seas was sailing out of Barcelona. It was the first night of its two-week sailing when a man went overboard. The ship immediately kind of turned around, went back to the point where they they believe he they were when he went overboard. They did a search and rescue kind of thing. And miraculously, about an hour, an hour and a half later, they found the person who was brought back on board and sent to the medical center. And, you know, they're taking care of him and his, his family. Again, it's just so rare that we get to report that kind of good news to a man overboard story. So really big kudos to the captain and crew over on the the seas. And Carnival Cruise Line says, if you want to go to this restaurant twice, you're going to have to pay. When Carnival introduced Mardi Gras, not the first Mardi Gras, but the second Mardi Gras, the big, big Mardi Gras a few years back, one of the things that was that they rolled out that was particularly interesting to people was that on several of the restaurants that you would normally pay a fee for, including both uh, Cucina del Capitano and their new restaurant, uh, Shebang. Is that it? Shebang? Yes. Uh, they were going to be free, but Soon after the line rolled these out, they sort of rolled that back a little bit. And now what happens is if you want to go to either of these restaurants on board Carnival Celebration or Carnival Mardi Gras, you can do it once. 
for free. But if you want to go a second time, it's an $8 fee. Now, that's actually not a terrible charge. You know, um, I've eaten in both of those restaurants numerous times. They're both really good restaurants. And, you know, to get a specialty restaurant experience on board a ship for $8, the second time you do it, you still get it the first time free. That's, that's not a bad deal at all. And it actually gives them a way to make sure that, you know, everybody gets to kind of rotate through. It, it would be real easy for, um, you know, tables can be very hard to get sometimes at specialty restaurants. And if, you know, there are people on board who really, really love uh, Kachina Cap- Del Capitano and they want to eat there four or five times during the course of a sailing, and believe me, that does happen, then it, you know, they need to figure out a way to let people who want to get that, that experience in. And so the way they've come up with is here, the first time is free. And then if you want to do it again, we're going to charge you. And again, small charge, really, comparatively speaking, dollars, that's not much. I would easily pay $8 to eat at either of those venues. Yeah, and also you have to keep in mind that if you're going to Cucina on another Carnival ship, say Carnival Magic, it's going to cost you $18. So you're still saving 10 bucks on that second trip. Exactly. Yeah, it's definitely it's definitely a good deal. So, you know, while I know that there are people who will complain about nickel and diming, I think that it would only be a legitimate complaint in this case if they were doing it from the first time. You know, since they rolled it out on these ships as free, if they were taking that away and saying, you know, to eat there at all, there's going to be a charge that might be considered more nickel and diamond. But in this case, I think it's, it's sort of, I don't know. I give them a pass on this one and we all know I don't get passes out very often. (laughs) Another region is jumping on the bandwagon to cash in on cruisers. This is Scotland. Now, Scotland is basically doing what we've seen several other um, countries and territories and, and, and ports do, which is look at the cruise industry and say, you know, you come here, you bring a lot of tourists here, you bring, uh, you know, your pollution here, you bring this, that, and the other here. So we're going to find a way to sort of balance the scales by making you give us money, essentially. In this case, they're considering implementing an emission tax on cruise ships, which would, um, it would basically be designed, it's still being hammered out, nothing is official, but it would basically be designed that bigger ships, which, you know, um, bring more people and um, emit more uh, carbons or whatever into the air, would pay a higher fee and ships that are more sustainable and that are being designed with, you know, better fuel sources and things, they would pay a lower fee. So it's on the one hand, yes, it is a way to try and get money out of cruisers by, by charging a new tax on them. But what I like about this one is if you're going to do that, it at least has as a side effect, the goal of sort of helping companies become greener and rewarding them for doing so. You know, if they're going to spend a lot of money on LNG ships or the the ability to plug into shore power and things like that, then it's worth rewarding them for that. And that is sort of what the new plan, if it goes through in Scotland, would do. And Carnival's second oldest cruise ship is looking a little bit new again. 
Carnival Paradise. Um, I have never sailed on Carnival Paradise, but I would really love to. It's one of the older ships. Any ship that's over 20 years um, old is appealing to me because, you know, there's fewer and fewer of them and they are being slowly but surely uh, cycled out. One of the cool things about Carnival Paradise is um, people are always complaining about smoke on ships. And when the Carnival Paradise rolled out, it was a ship on which you could not smoke anywhere on ship at any time. It was a, it had a complete non-smoking policy. Um, and people today say they want that, but at the time it didn't really work out so well. They, they, you know, I, I, it, it did not maintain the level of, uh, occupancy that they would need in order to keep this going. And so eventually they dropped it and now you can smoke on board just like on any other ship in certain designated areas. Anyway, the ship just got out of dry dock in Freeport and is heading to Tampa. This was not one of those dry docks where they, you know, do something major and put on all kinds of new attractions and things. It was really more of a freshening up. The uh, the piano bar kind of got a new look and there's some new carpeting and things like that. This is not suddenly going to be a modern ship with, you know, co-carts and and. Uh, roller coasters on it. It's nothing like that, but it is a nice opportunity to sail on one of the oldest ships in the fleet. Uh, it's one of only two of its class remaining. Doug, do you remember what the other one in this class is? Yeah, I see it every few days out the studio window here. Carnival Elation. Right. And the others, most of the others in that fleet were sold after COVID when they were basically getting rid of some of the older ships and they were um, raising money. So it's a nice opportunity to sail on one of these older ships. Have you sailed on the Paradise? You know, I haven't sailed on Paradise. Uh, actually, there was there's three I haven't sailed on and two I'll never be able to because they're scrapped, which was Inspiration and Imagination. But uh, Paradise is like three hours from here, so I've got to catch it at some point. The time is now. You know, it's yes, it just got a dry dock, but as we said, it wasn't a big dry duck. It wasn't a major one. So it really wasn't a matter of adding a whole lot of life to it so much as it was, you know, making it pretty for the, uh, for the, what well, will probably be its final couple years of service. So I would definitely jump on that in the next year or so and, and experience it. Okay. So before we hop here, you're sailing out of Manhattan. It's kind of nasty weather. You had a couple of shuffles in your itinerary there. How was the ship behaving uh, with it being so nasty outside and everyone inside? Well, they changed our itinerary first. We, um, the first day we were on board, we were supposed to have two sea days, then be in Bermuda and then have one sea day going back. And they changed it around. They picked up speed to get us to Bermuda earlier. Uh, and we'll be here through Thursday and then Thursday afternoon we will leave and we will have two sea days going back, which I actually prefer. I like having the sea days on the opposite end, but we did have some rough waters coming out of, uh, out of Manhattan. And you could definitely feel some movement. I mean, it didn't really bother me. I'm with somebody who has only done one or two cruises. And she said that she, you know, she felt it a little bit more than I did. As far as um, how it handles the crowds, so far, it's it's been not been bad, except for, of course, you know, embarkation day, which on a ship this big is always a nightmare. You know, I came into this warning her that, you know, 
the first two or three hours, you're going to regret having booked this because it's just, you know, trying to get 5,000 people on the ship and they don't really spread out. It takes a full day for people to find their way around. So during that time, it felt crowded. And during the Halloween party last night at Space, Spice H2O, it felt crowded then, which, you know, you almost kind of want because it's a big party under the, under the stars. But during the day and stuff, when you're wandering around, it does not seem bad at all. It'll be, I think the true test will be the two C days going back because I think we're probably going to get some weather then. And it'll be a test of, you know, how well they sort of find things to disperse people throughout the ship during the day. If we're all going to be trapped inside for two days. Very good. Staff writer, Richard Sims, enjoy the rest of your sailing, man. Talk to you next week. Talk to you next week. Have a question or a comment for the show? Yeah! Send an email or voice memo to Doug at CruiseRadio.net. A big question we get at Cruise Radio is, how do I know if I need trip insurance? Simple answer. If you're getting on a plane, taking a road trip, or getting on a cruise ship, you need to have travel insurance. Hey, it's Doug Parker for my friends at TripInsurance.com. Not not only does TripInsurance.com protect your vacation investment, but it also gives you peace of mind in case anything were to go wrong on your trip. How do they do it? They offer three different types of trip insurance policies. Good, better, and best. One policy for every vacation budget. But it doesn't just stop there. They're up to 40% lower when you shop around on other comparison sites. Plus, TripInsurance.com offers 24-hour customer support before, during, and after your trip, online claims assistance, and travel alerts to let you know what's going on at your destination. But find out for yourself. Check out TripInsurance.com. The world is constantly changing. Your place for news is still the same. Online and on demand at cruiseradio.net. Bahar and his family just returned from a cruise sailing Royal Caribbean's Quantum of the Seas. It was a seven-night Southeast Alaska cruise out of Seattle. He joins us on the line. How you doing, my friend? Good, Doug. Thanks. How are you? Yeah, good. Good to talk to you. Can't wait to hear about this sailing on Quantum. So before we get to the ship itself, you are over in Texas and you had to make your way up to the Northwest, I guess, Seattle. Yeah, Northwest. So give us a pre-cruise thoughts. What made you want to take this seven-night cruise to Alaska? So you keep hearing that uh, from a lot of people that Alaska is amazing. And um, after having done a lot of different itineraries, Caribbean, other places like Northern Europe, Transatlantic, and so on, I thought it was a good time um, to do it this summer. And um, I actually chose this specific sail date um, since it landed right on my milestone birthday, my, um, I mean, on embarkation day. Um, so I figured it was a good way to celebrate and remember in the future. Awesome. Heck yeah. They're creating memories. I love it. So you make your way over to Seattle from Texas. Any pre-cruise time over there? Yeah, we flew in two nights, uh, or we flew into Seattle two nights before the cruise. Um, we took the light rail from the airport to the downtown Seattle I think it's called um, Sound Transit Link. Uh, super cheap, like $3 an adult and kids were free. Stayed in downtown Seattle, the Paramount Hotel, walking distance to every, everywhere. Um, hit up the Space Needle, Pike's Place Market. Got lunch at this Eastern European bakery called Poroshki, or Poroshki Poroshki, um, and a bunch of other places. We used to actually live in Portland about uh, over 10 years ago. So it was, uh, we went there fairly often, so it was kind of nice to hit, see those sites again. So you're in Seattle, you make your way to the cruise pier to board Quantum. How was the embarkation process and how long did it take you from the curb to the ship? It was very smooth. Uh, we got a taxi to take my family from the hotel to the ship, which is in Pier 91. Um, 
once the taxi dropped us off right at the border, right where the porters are to take our luggage, it was uh, less than eight minutes from dropping off our luggage to being sitting at the waiting area ready to board. Um, and this is, I should know, without the key as well. We've done so many interviews, I can't keep up. Have you sailed the Quantum class ship before? No, no. Okay. You make your way on board. What were your first impressions of this one? Yeah, we thought it was a beautiful ship. So the decor, how clean it was, everything, it, it, it almost felt like a new ship. And of course it isn't because it's about a nine-year-old ship. We were pretty impressed. And then after, once we got on board, after our muster, uh, we did the muster right away. And then we started checking out some of the amenities, um, especially the stuff that we know gets sold out or popular, like iFly, North Star, Flowrider, all the stuff that's kind of unique to this ship or this class of ship. Um, so we did actually get our free iFly and North Star sessions. We did both of those before we sailed away. And then uh, we also did rock climbing and bumper cars also on the same day. So we were very busy that, that day. Yeah, so layout is great. Um, I also kind of like how the casino is tucked down in, in the bottom of deck three near the, the music hall. So you don't have to like, you know, walk up or walk down to kind of avoid the whole casino area if you're trying to avoid it. And then as far as the layout goes, like you got your deck four and deck five for all the inside promenade stuff. And then the 14, 15, 16 is, is the outdoor pool, the buffet area, North Star Solarium and so on. So after being on board for a couple of hours, and we'll get to your stateroom in a second, but after being on board for a couple of hours, did you find it like, okay, this is a pretty easy ship to navigate? Yeah, especially because I had looked at the, the deck plan map beforehand mm-hmm. and um you don't really get lost and you just keep in mind that it's pretty much everything's on deck uh, four, either four and five or and then 14, 15, 16. Everything gotcha. else is pretty much um, staterooms except for the kids club. Gotcha. Okay. So let's talk about the stateroom then. What kind of room did you book for this sailing and how was it on your seven night cruise? Uh, we had a regular ocean view balcony, deck eight mid near the elevators. Uh, I try to, try to do the Royal Up thing to a grand suite, but I was not successful there. Uh, but that's okay. We we still really enjoyed our balcony. Plenty of storage, even for the four of us. There was a sofa that the cabin steward turned into a double bed for the kids. I remember also requesting some mattress toppers um, to before the cruise, so that worked out great as well. Standard power outlet in the middle of the cabin. Shower was a decent size. Glass door. The water pressure was pretty strong. And then, of course, the balcony was nice to have, especially like during the pulling in, pulling out, in and out of the ports to kind of check those views. And then also in the Endicott Arm Fjord as well, it was it was nice having that balcony. Yeah, definitely. You find there being plenty of plugs in space? For space, yes. The storage space was, was very adequate. We actually had some leftover storage space. Um, so that really is not common. Um, but plugs was pretty standard. I mean, we have our extension and, you know, so then you can turn your one outlet into several outlets. Sure. Yeah, I got you. So let's talk about dining on this seven-night cruise, and we'll start at the buffet, which they call the Windjammer Marketplace. Well, how were your thoughts up there? So Windjammer is on deck 14 aft. Um, I thought the food was okay, nothing really to, hi- to write home about. We did have a hard time finding seats, like finding an empty table in the Windjammer, especially during peak, ta- peak times and breakfast and lunch. But one good thing is during that time when it's pretty packed, they make frequent announcements to basically say like, you know, hey, please vacate your table once you're done eating so then other people can, can have a table and enjoy. And, uh, of course, before entering the Windjammer, you have, you know, a lot of hand station to wash your hands. And then, of course, Washi Washi is, is there standing as well, friendly, sending you a friendly reminder to wash your hands. Gosh, they have that, that bakery station in there, though. That is so freaking delicious, man. Those cookies, like, are to die for. Yeah, and also that coffee shop uh, right 
right past the hand hand washing station mm-hmm. as well. The, that was nice as well. Yeah, definitely. Um, all right, so let's talk about the main dining room, which is down a couple of decks. How was your experience there, and what time dining did you have throughout the week? Yeah, we had my time dining. So there's two dining rooms. They're both basically across from each other um, on deck four, deck four aft. Uh, Silk and American Icon Grill is what they're called. Pretty much the same menu, just different decors. So even though we had your time dining, we were able to choose our specific time slot, that what, what time we wanted to eat in advance each night so that we were trying to avoid uh, lines, but it didn't really help, especially the first night. It was pretty chaos. Uh, we, when we got there at our scheduled time, there was just long lines, more than one line. We didn't even know which line to stand in. People were confused, and the crew were like pulling guests out of the lines. Whoever would complain to them, it was just a mess. And then once we got in, sat down, service wasn't great. Um, it took about over two hours to finish our our service so we thought maybe it was just the first night so we tried again the second night and it was the lines were better to get in but it was still about an hour and a half to two hours so we kind of felt discouraged eating in the dining room unfortunately um but thankfully we did enjoy the specialty restaurants did you buy any packages before your cruise like a three night or four night specialty package no um so i from what i understand with those you can't get to choose um your specific time slots or like what days and times you want to eat mm-hmm. until you actually get on board. We just bought three different specialty restaurants, but separately, not in, not in some sort of package. Okay. So what specialty restaurants did you enjoy? And give us a little, uh, a little brief overview of each one. Yeah. First one was Jamie's Italian. So we did that on embarkation day actually for lunch. So that was a kind of a nice way to get away from the windjammer crowd uh, or avoid that area if possible. And it was also a nice way to celebrate my birthday as well. The food was great. The service was great. We had a, stuff like the garlicky prawns, creamy penne carbonara, baked lasagna, a bunch of other stuff. Oh, and Doug, I remember you speaking highly on one of the previous reviews on um, the, I think it's, the, it's called the lemon meringue cheesecake. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I remember that and I knew I knew I had to get it. And um, yeah, and when they got it, they had a candle in it and it sang happy birthday and all that. And it was nice. super nice. Um, so yeah, so thank you for that. Yeah, very cool. And then um, also we had uh, dinner one night in Izumi, which is the Japanese sushi restaurant on board. Mm-hmm. Um, so you get a basically like a one starter, two mains and one dessert. Um, the food was really good. Uh, I just didn't feel like it was a lot of food, but it was still very good, though. Also, without telling them it's my birthday, they ended up giving when when I got my when I ordered my uh, mochi ice cream, um, they they helped, they wrote happy birthday as well over there. So that was that was nice. And then um, lastly was Wonderland. So Wonderland is this very unique, uh, what Royal defines as unique culinary imaginative experience. So it's just different than a regular restaurant, the decor, the way they have their menu where you have to like brush the menu to get to show you the elements. And then you, you can tell them what appetizers you want or don't want, but they can basically surprise you, uh, bring a bunch of stuff. We had, we tasted some stuff that we never tasted before like liquid lobster with this bone marrow caviar mm-hmm. crispy crab cone all this weird stuff um we really enjoyed it but it's definitely not for the picky eaters i've only done it once and i, I feel the same way what did your wife think of it she enjoyed it yeah she, she enjoyed it i think it's just the way the food was presented at first it looked it looks just a bit strange but then once you taste it 
she enjoyed everything that she had except for one thing, which um, I can't remember exactly what it was like, something like mushroom risotto or something. But mm-hmm. it wasn't bad enough that like she had to like spit it out or anything. Gotcha. How about dining like on the Promenade Cafe or any other places around the ship you took interest? Didn't really have anything there. They do have also in Cafe 270 at the back. They had some like a deli. So we ate a couple of times there. Um, it was okay. It wasn't, I mean, it, it was good. Also, you can make your own some sort of salad as well there with a, with a crew member helping you. I'm trying to remember where else that are free options. Uh, oh, there's also the Cplex Doghouse, which is in the Cplex area. They have like, they make these like hot dogs. That was good. That's all I can think of right now. Very nice. Well, let's talk about the entertainment on this seven-eyed cruise. It sounds like you got a lot in on your very first day, but what else did y'all experience? As far as production shows, if you, I don't know if you remember I mentioned this in the past or not. I'm not a huge fan of the production shows in general. They had Star Water. We didn't go to that. They had uh, Sequence and Feathers, which was okay. Um, there's a couple of other ones. I don't remember their names. But other entertainment in the evening, especially, were there was a comedian. Uh, one comedian, he was hilarious. I think his name was Louis Rami a ventriloquist, Kevin Johnson. He was really, really, really good. I think it was my wife's favorite on board. And uh, they also had this band that uh, they kind of played in Cafe 270 a a bunch. And also in one night in the Royal Theater, they they called it a tribute to Bob Marley, which I personally loved. Uh, It was really good. And, um, And then on the last day of the cruise, there was there, they called it a Quantum of the Seas farewell talent show. So they basically got the best karaoke guest singers and then also um like i can't remember like two or three crew maybe yeah it was about two or three crew member um they had like the, basically like a crew talent so one did a karaoke and then a couple of bartenders they were like showing off their their skills nice. um so we were definitely glad we did that and definitely not to not you know do not miss it if it's on your ship of course there's the other you know stuff on, around the ship like there's the trivias piano bar karaoke the crazy quest which was which is actually pretty fun um game show like love and marriage and so on what does your kids think of the uh, kids program my son he's eight so he went to the adventure ocean every day every single day and he loved it there he loves camps regardless which ship and regardless which cruise line Uh that that we go on and the process to check in uh, my kiddo and check him out was great hardly or actually no wait super super easy to drop off and also pick up. It was a complete opposite of the uh, NCL experience that we had um, several months ago, where it was pretty chaotic and just a nightmare. Um, um, anyway, but it was fantastic. And and um, but because this was a you know fairly port intensive, he wanted to spend more time, of course, at the kids club than than we would let him. But uh, <laughs> it, it was great. My daughter didn't uh, really go to the teens club. Not her thing, but um, she still, of course, enjoyed the ship with us. Sure. Uh, how were the sea days as far as crowds and congestion? You mentioned it was a little uh, little busy on there. Uh, yeah, so I don't have the actual guest count, but I'm pretty sure we sell the capacity. So for this ship, it's 4,200 double capacity uh, and then 4,900 guest count for total when you count the third and fourth guests. But it really didn't feel that bad, um, especially after the first day. I think people were just scattered in different places between the promenade decks, the Cafe 270, Cplex, and everywhere else. So it wasn't bad. The vibe, of course, on the Lido, oh, I can't call it Lido deck, but the, on the open deck was, of course, very different being Alaska compared to like Caribbean. So the there's an indoor and outdoor pool. The outdoor pool was pretty much shut down the whole cruise except on the last, well, actually, sea day before Victoria, before Seattle. The indoor pool was actually used I mean, not as, of course, not as much as Caribbean, but, you know, plenty of chairs if you wanted to sit. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, we did have some a bit of rough seas on both our sea days, both going and coming back, about 15-foot swells or so. Um, not too bad, of course, nothing compared to the, the celebration transatlantic that, that we encountered, of course. Oh, and I did the uh, all-access tour, so that's where you get to kind of see a lot of the behind-the-scenes stuff like um, the galley, laundry, engine control room, the bridge. One surprising thing that I kind of really liked with the all-access tour on Royal is that they let you take pictures pretty much as much as you want, just no pictures of when you're going down I-95 because it holds, of course, a lot of sensitive info there and uh, no videos. That's more than a lot of cruise lines. Yes, for sure. Yeah, that's awesome. Did they let you on the navigational bridge, the actual bridge itself, like where they were steering? Yeah. Wow. Uh, so the actual, yeah, so you're on the bridge. You can see the, the officers uh, right in the middle of the bridge. They did have it roped off where you can actually go and like right in the middle of the bridge. You can't actually go to that area, but you can definitely see it. You can, you know, wave at them. They're waving back saying hi. But you are going on the wing and the wing pretty much has what they're telling us. They have the exact same controls on the wing as you do in the center. So you get to see all their cameras, all their uh, all their equipment, um, you know, a ton of different a ton of different stuff there. Um, and they were trying to, you know, the guy, the crew member was trying to explain it to us, uh, the staff member. So that was neat. And another kind of neat thing is kind of unique that when we were in the engine control room, uh, one of the officers there was explaining to us everything behind us. An officer was working. Of course, they have like these, gosh, two, three dozen cameras, right? That like TV screens of cameras, you can see everything. We actually, during their time there, there was a call that just got in that somebody was stuck in the elevator and you could see frantically how, like, you know, responsive and reactive he was and, like, immediately trying to, you know, call maintenance and do this and do that to, like, you know, immediate, try to immediately, you know, rectify the situation. So that was, that was a, a neat experience to, to see firsthand. Gosh, elevators terrify me anyway. Like, I don't, I don't get, get on an elevator on a cruise ship. Um, oh, wow. Gee, yeah, that would just well, too many people pile into those things for me. And if it got stuck, I'd have a, I have space issues. So like, if I got stuck, I'd have a nervous breakdown probably. So, so if you're going from uh, a port, like, you know, down, let's say deck three or something to Toledo, are you taking the stairs the whole way up? Every single time. Yep. I will say like in my studio here, I'm on the 12th floor. Um, I do take the elevators every day here, but I also come in at the crack of dawn. So no one's in there. And I also leave between uh shifts so no one's going down with me either <laughs> i wonder why you're so fit <laughs> yeah uh all right well very good let's talk about the ports of call on this seven night cruise what we'll do here like we always do give us the first port give us a highlight and then just move to the next one okay so our first stop was ketchikan so this replaced skagway which um of course the whole landline landslide situation they canceled skagway for all the sailings uh this season for quantum so we docked right at, right at town. We could actually see the welcome to Ketchikan sign from our balcony. So we walked off. We just walked to Creek Street. We we did that, salmon, the salmon ladder observation platform. We walked back to the port area. We went to the Great Alaskan Lumberjack Show. That was, that was fun. The kids loved it. And then we met with our private tour guide. Uh, she picked us up right at the front door of the, the Great Alaskan Lumberjack. We did a three-hour tour with her. So we went to a, a totem park. Um, and then Herring Cove, which was, it's basically an area where you, it's like an open field area and you get to see bears in the wild and, uh, which we did. And it was, it was, it was really neat seeing that. The next port day was Sitka. So that was actually my wife's and my favorite port, um, from the sailing. It's a beautiful small town. You can see these like snow capped mountains in the back, even in June, of course. 
So we did a three-hour private, they call it a wildlife boat tour because it's not just whales, but you can see a bunch of other uh, wildlife as well. Uh, just for my family of four, so he had a he had a the captain had a pretty small boat, but it was uh, it was it was really great because nobody else with us to like you know trying to look over someone's shoulder or anything, and we got to see whales, uh, eagles, sea lions, sea otters, some of them you know really up close as well. So that was uh, no whales that breached, but uh, but it, it was still it was still fantastic. Uh, once we got back, we went to Sitka National Historic Totem Park. We just walked to that about 15 minutes or so. And then uh, that port, I should mention, there is a sh- uh, a free shuttle that the cruise line has, or that they, I don't know, sponsor or something with the port that takes you to and from the ship to downtown. Because we got off fairly quickly, uh, there was no line. Like we just literally just walked right on the right on the bus, and uh, coming back, it was less than a five minute wait. The next thing was Endicott Arm Fjord and Dawes Glacier. So it's actually not a port stop, just a viewing of the fjord. So we got up super early to check that out, um, see the views, which is beautiful. I've always kind of like compare it with the Norway fjords, you know, different, of course, different fjords, but um, it, it's still beautiful. The Unfortunately, the the weather wasn't great during that, that morning or that day. It was just like foggy and rainy, and windy. So we had the Endicott Dawes Glacier Explorer excursion and unfortunately got canceled last minute. Like we actually went down to the meeting spot and they said oh sorry the tour operator just canceled like five minutes ago so uh we just enjoyed the the rest of it from our from from the ship and then the next port was juno uh so we rocked we docked right at town uh i had rented a um a reserved an suv so we just toured our own we just went to to mendehall glacier did the hiking there to the to the waterfalls and then a bunch of other spots like um Auk bay shrine chapel the whale project and a bunch of other places it was it was nice having that flexibility with the rental car and um last stop was victoria so i pre-arranged a pedicab tour from a recommendation from a friend and it was it was really great we got to see a lot of the victoria like the old heritage homes beacon hill park the garden the castle chinatown even like during the time in the uh beacon hill park we saw these peacocks and we were hand feeding them some peanuts and stuff and uh, saw deer really up close as well. So it was a really great way to kind of like maximize your, your few hours. I think we had like five hours there at port. Nice. Yeah. So that that wraps it up with uh, Victoria. It's always funny because Victoria is one of those places where either people just step off the ship to get that picture um, in front of the sign and where the, where the bay is right there, or they actually go and do something like the gardens or Chinatown or do what you did uh, with the pedicab. Was this your first time ever in Victoria as well? No, because when we lived in Portland, um, we drove up to like like northwest of Seattle, and we mm-hmm. took the ferry um, over to Victoria. So it wasn't our it wasn't our first time there, but uh, it was nice, kind of like you know seeing those spots again. But it's been a good gosh fifteen years since yeah. the last time we were there. How was the weather up in Alaska? It depends on what day. So overall, in general, it was for our sailing. It was it was a bit chilly. Um, you know, maybe in the um, as low as like the upper 40s, low 50s, and in the upper 50s for the high, maybe low 60s. wasn't too bad. But the Ketchikan was our best day as far as like like pretty much you can see the sun and everything. Siska was a bit overcast the whole day and on and off rain. Endicott, I already explained, it was just very foggy and windy. Mm-hmm. Juno was pouring rain and when it stopped raining for like 10 minutes it would pour some more after that 
And then thankfully, Victoria was nice. But it's just it's just the luck of the draw. Like I remember the sailing right before us. I could see the the cruises that went on the sailing before us and also after us. I believe um, they had great weather the whole week. So it's just just luck of the draw. Yeah, it's always hit or miss up there. You know, it's it's either really beautiful or it's crappy. There's really no uh, no in between. Yeah. Or maybe you just your expectations is you want it to be really nice, and if it's not really nice, you just think it's really crappy. Right. <laughs> so thankfully, we were prepared with. Um, we got some. Um, like waterproof, you know, pants and jackets and everything. We just said, you know what, we'll just get them. If we need them, we great. And if we don't, and, and I actually just looked at the weather before, like a, a few days before, and I realized, okay, it, it looks like it's going to be raining at least 50% of the time. So it might be worse to, to bring this stuff. And uh, thankfully we did yeah. um, for our, our case. When you were there, so you were probably there before the salmon started running then, right? Yeah, and you can see the, like, the, the couple of bears that we saw in Herring Cove in Ketchikan. You can see them. There's the, the little river, and, like, he would, like, cross and look <laughs> and, like, trying to, trying to find something. Uh, so that was, that, was, that was entertaining. Yeah. So cool. Very nice. So you make your way um, back to Seattle. How was Debark? Yeah, it was pretty smooth. Um, so since we didn't, have flights to catch that that day actually we flew back the next morning um we were pretty chill and relaxed we enjoyed a last breakfast in the dining room the service thankfully then was the complete opposite of the first night it was perfect the food was awesome good hot quick service and we were like really just chilling there uh, as much as we can um didn't have any troubles leaving the ship finding our bags we got a lift to take us to downtown seattle because i had a another rental car there so uh, we can kind of like enjoy it and spend the day around before we flew back the next morning. Do you prefer getting a rental car just with the family and everything instead of just Ubering between here and there? Yeah, it depends on like what we're planning on doing. Like mm-hmm. in Juneau, the reason I did that is because for the cost of us go taking that shuttle, if we didn't rent a car and we wanted to go to Mendenhall Glacier, for example, for that cost of, and don't quote me on this, but I know I'm on the air, but I don't know, $35, $40 yeah. per person or something sure. times four, like $160. Like literally I could rent a, a rent a car for about the same price, maybe a little bit more, but I have so much more flexibility and I can, you know, we got to go to, like I said, Shrine Chapel and Auk Lake and whatever we wanted to go and stop and eat and do whatever versus being on like Ubering everywhere. Same thing in, in, um, in Seattle, like when we, when we left. Uh, because also the, like our hotel wasn't going to be ready, you know, until, I don't know, two o'clock or three o'clock. And I didn't want to do the whole day pass thing. So we just got an SUV, stuck all our luggage in the trunk and, uh, we were off and we just enjoyed our day and we got to the hotel, you know, late evening. Yeah. Very cool. Well, as you, uh, look back over your cruise here, do you have any first time tips to offer anyone who may be sailing Alaska or sailing quantum of the seas? Yeah, so first thing, I would say about a one or two months before your cruise, just keep a close eye on your the cruise activities once you log in because things will start showing up there like the iFly and the North Star and Royal Society of Puzzles and a bunch of stuff like that. And also where you can make your dinner reservations times if you wanted to. And then once you're on board, of course, put your phone on airplane mode, put the choose the Royal Wi-Fi, and then it will actually load all the all the stuff on your on your app, uh, include like the whole cruise schedule for every day and then that's where you can actually get to reserve your free iFly and North Star. And then also I should say like if you don't sweat it if you're not able to get one of those free iFly or North Star on the first day like we did because more of them will end up showing up um, on the app basically like the day before the evening before each port day. 
Um, but you can only do one per person though. And then lastly, I would say is if you're a coffee drinker like I am, I highly recommend getting the coffee card. So with something like $30 per card, it gives you 15 punches and then you can use it in any of the specialty restaurants around. I think it's like four of them. It's like one punch for a small and two punches for a large or iced coffee. And then um, I got two cards and I use all 30 punches uh, between me and my wife. Nice. And um, you should also save if you like coffee in the morning, like, you know, like, like basically some of the coffee shops are open on, on Deep Arc Day as well. So you can just save a, a punch or two so you can have coffee then as well. I'm not up to date on Royal Caribbean's pricing. So like North Star and um, the iFly, is that still complimentary or are you paying now for that? So it depends on if you're doing it in a port day or a sea day. On the port days, those are actually free. And then on the sea days, they're paid. Now, I should say the, so if we start with the iFly, it's basically like one minute of iFly flying time on the port day like we did or on embarkation day for us uh, versus two minutes on the, on a sea day. But let me tell you, one minute is plenty. Like I, I didn't feel like, you know, oh man, I wish I had a longer time. Like you're pretty exhausted after the one minute. But it's nice to have it like you can do the, you know, the, the, the free one. And then if you wanted to, you can always, you know, buy the, the paid one if you wanted to in a C-Day. And then North Star is the same thing. Again, it's free on port days. But it's the, the, the difference is uh, not just the duration, but also it goes up and down only for the free one. And then on the C-Days actually goes up and then to the side. So you get to see like the whole side of the ship as well. And um, it's something like, uh, if I remember correctly, off the top of my head, like $29 per person. It's either 19 or 29 for the the North Star on a sea day, except on the Glacier Day, they they really upcharge you there. It was something like I don't know, sixty dollars or so for that. You know, to get the viewing yeah. from the North Star. Your biggest highlight of this cruise? So on the ship, I would say, especially for the kids, I would I would definitely say the I Fly and North Star is just something unique on this on this class. We also love the the ventriloquist. So some of the entertainment like the ventriloquist, the uh, tribute to Bob Marley. I also really liked Wonderland and Izumi. Uh, I know I'm like a little, oh, I'm kind of like all over the place. But um, off the ship, I would say just seeing all the wildlife, the bears, eagles, whales, the sea otters, really cute. And some of them are really up close as well. And that was, that was definitely a highlight. Love it. And your final thoughts of Quantum of the Seas? Uh, it's a great ship, lots of activities, entertainment, and uh, I wouldn't hesitate to recommend it to a friend. What made you? Um, are you on? Are you on a mission to kind of just sail all the ships now, or all the lines? Um, well, I so we started off with Carnival, then a lot of Carnival sailings. Uh, I think like eighteen, about eighteen different ships with Carnival. Yeah, I was gonna say, yeah. And uh, yeah, and I just at this point, I just want to experience. Uh, it's not so much the cruise line anymore for me. I mean, I, I do love Carnival, and I will continue to sail with them. But I wanted to just to try different different lines as well so that's why we did the norwegian and then next is and then we did this royal one and then we'll be back to carnival again and then also we did msc in the past as well so it's just nice to kind of like get to see and feel how all the, the lines do it differently and there's just the pros and cons between each one of them no i get it i i have uh close to 60 sailings with carnival since i was a kid and I, I've seen myself over the past, since the restart, and I think, not trying to point mm -hmm. fingers at anyone here, but a lot of the guest behavior is kind of, has pushed yeah. me to other lines. Yeah. It's not to like, go, you know, go on a side rant here. It's just, um, when I see people, you know, putting, putting their finger in a crew member's face and talking down to them, or when I see someone have an ice cream cone or a plate and just throw it in the stairwell, I'm oh. like, 
I don't know about yeah. you, but I I don't do that at home, and you're a grown ass adult. Yeah, absolutely. So it's just not not. A- but yeah. Anyway, anyway, that's a wholly different, totally different thing. But yeah, so yeah. it sounds like you had you had a great cruise, and I uh, I really appreciate you um, coming on here and sharing your experience. We've been talking with Baher about his seven night cruise to Southeast Alaska from Seattle on Quantum of the Seas. Thank you so much for coming on, my friend. Thank you, Doug. I appreciate it. All right, Dougie. Let's see what we got for you, buddy. Cruise Radio is produced at the TripInsurance.com studios in Jacksonville, Florida. Get cruise news, ship reviews, and money-saving tips every Thursday on Cruise Radio. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the show. If you want to help spread the word, give Cruise Radio a five-star review. Find Cruise Radio where you listen to your favorite podcast or online at cruiseradio.net. I'm your announcer.